There's a quest going on to reduce the biblical Christ to mere man or a legend. How do the so-called Gospels of Judas and Thomas portray Christ? Today, the best-selling author of Breaking the Da Vinci Code, Daryl Bach, will help you separate fact from fiction and discuss his new book, Dethroning Jesus. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Will a dramatic discovery rewrite biblical history? Find out as National Geographic reveals the lost gospel of the Bible's greatest villain. National Geographic did a special on the Gospel of Judas. What about the Gospel of Judas? What about the so-called Gospel of Thomas? If you've been listening to television specials, if you've been looking at the best-selling books at the bookstore, these discoveries of these so-called lost Gospels are being used to cast doubt upon Jesus the traditional understanding of Jesus, the Christian, the Orthodox Christian understanding of Jesus. Is Jesus really God or just a man, just a great religious leader? In 15 minutes, we're going to talk to an expert, Dr. Daryl Bach. He's written a book, Dethroning Jesus, also author of the best-selling book, Breaking the Da Vinci Code. So we'll talk about the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Thomas, and the Da Vinci Code. You do not want to miss this with Dr. Daryl Bach, and we'll take some calls and questions later in the second segment from you about the Da Vinci Code, the Gospel of Judas. But in this segment, I want your opinion about this breaking news. Hillary Clinton has just jumped to a 33-point lead against Barack Obama for the Democratic nomination of President of the United States. Now, Obama is in a little bit of trouble. Here's Ted Kennedy. Why don't we just ask Osama, bin Laden, Osama Obama, uh, Obama what there is, uh, since um, he won by such a big amount. Okay, well, obviously, uh, Senator Kennedy having a hard time uh, remembering Barack Hussein Obama and uh, separating that from Osama bin Laden. But uh, Obama is in the news today. He's telling KCRG-TV he's no longer going to wear 
a United States flag lapel pin on his coat. I decided uh, I won't wear that uh, pin on my chest. Instead, I'm going to try to tell the American people what I believe will make this country great. And, you know, hopefully uh, that will be a testimony to my patriotism. That's a very interesting development. But the fact is, he is 33 points behind Hillary Clinton now in the polls. She is surging ahead with funds and uh, with these kinds of polls. It seems like there's no stopping her now. Now, here's what I want to remind you of. Hillary Clinton, her position on the war in Iraq. We need to bring our combat troops home from Iraq starting right now. I would not wait. I would begin to get them out of the multi-sided sectarian civil war that they are part of. All right, she wants to bring the troops home now. Just as we hear now, the surge is working, and we have record lows in terms of casualties, American casualties or Iraqi casualties. She wants to bring them home despite what's happening over there. What do you think of this? What do you think of the prospects of Hillary Clinton as commander-in-chief? The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. Here is Hillary as commander-in-chief. Her policy on homosexuals in the military. We are also going to work to end the failed policy of don't ask, don't tell. All right. Ending the policy of don't ask, don't tell, which her husband was the author of, essentially. And in another soundbite, she actually said, you know, um, we didn't do what we wanted to do because the Republicans controlled the, the Senate and the House at the time, and uh, we were stuck with this don't ask, don't tell policy, essentially saying she's for any kind of homosexuals, homosexual activity in the military. It's open. It's fine. What do you think of that? The number is 800-881-9270. Are you ready for this woman to be president? And the real question I want to ask today is this. Uh, this story continues to have legs. That is... Dr. James Dobson um, saying that uh, he could not support Rudy Giuliani if the race is between Hillary and Rudy. Now, you'll remember there was a meeting last Saturday up in Salt Lake City, 50 conservative Christian leaders, Dr. Tony Perkins, Gary Bauer, Dr. James Dobson, and Dr. Dobson wrote today a New York Times op-ed about his presence at the meeting. And I want you to hear this. I'm going to read a little bit of this because he's highly respected. And here's what Dr. Dobson has to say. Reports have surfaced in the press about a meeting that occurred last Saturday in Salt Lake City. Fifty pro-family leaders. The purpose of the gathering was to discuss our response if both the Democrat and the Republican parties nominate Candidates who are supportive of abortion. Although I was neither the convener nor the moderator of the meeting, I'd like to offer several brief clarifications about its outcome and implications. After two hours of deliberation, we voted on a resolution that can be summarized as follows. If neither of the two party major parties nominates an individual who pledges himself or herself to the sanctity of human life, we will join others in voting for a minor party candidate. Those agreeing with the proposition were invited to stand. The result was almost unanimous. I was at that meeting. Pennedexter was at that meeting. I had to leave before it got to that point. But in any case, I can tell you from what I heard of the meeting, this is an accurate record of what happened. And this is the question I have for you. With the prospect of Hillary... 
Would you hold your nose and vote for Giuliani? He's not pro-life. He seems um, acquiescent to homosexual uh, marriage or something like that. Um, Would you vote for a third-party candidate? What are you thinking? We've got Tom on the line from Dallas. Tom, thank you for calling and holding. What's your view? Hi, am I on? You're on, Tom. Okay. Um, again, I think you have to vote for the candidate that, that is most likely to win. It, mm. If you go for a third party, as much as in principle you'd, you'd like to, to stand on that if you're pro-life, I, I, I can't see however you could vote for someone that does not have a legitimate shot to win. You've got to have someone that at least is a is going to work toward a, a, a better agenda than, than the Democratic, uh, perhaps, nominee, that being Hillary. Mm. Well, have a fighting chance. Yeah. I, you know, Tom. And I'm, you know, avidly pro-life. And, uh, I mean, I think you perhaps try to do your best but to uh, influence that candidate to not make decisions that would be anti-pro-life, per se, but... But uh, you've got to you've got to win. You've got to nominate the candidate who, if they can win, um, put it, you know, anything else is just going to give it to the other party, and that doesn't serve your pur- pur- purpose at all. Hmm. Well, thanks, Tom. You know, there are a lot of people that agree with you out there. Tony Blankley wrote a major editorial this week, uh, pretty much reinforcing what you've just said, and that is, look, the time for fighting is in the primaries, and that is that. There are still other candidates like Huckabee, uh, like Fred Thompson, which would be more pro-life. And this is the time for the conservative Christian activists to to mobilize and and try to get folks to, you know, galvanize uh, Republican Party opinion around a pro-life candidate. But once uh, that that's over and the primary process has completed itself, uh, Blankley and others are saying we should rally around a uh, Republican candidate because uh, Giuliani has said he would appoint someone like um, Alito uh, or Scalia or um, Clarence Thomas to the Supreme Court. And uh, that would be uh, perhaps a a pro-life vote to the uh, Supreme Court of the United States. Well, we've got Gayla on the line from Ennis. Gayla, thank you for calling and hold holding. Gayla, how do you view this dilemma, Hillary, Rudy Giuliani, or a third-party candidate? I really feel like that if Hillary or Barack Obama or Giuliani got into office, we would be in such dire straits. And I have a question for you, and maybe you can answer this. Being my age, growing up, People say that our votes don't count. People say our votes count. My personal opinion is that if we don't make a stand as Christians now to show that we are, I think that we are the vocal majority in this country. And if we don't make a stand now for what is right, our babies, we've got to protect our babies and we've got to protect the sanctity of our marriages. And these candidates that are running now, that are out in the front, they have no sense of moral no sense of value of life, no sense of nothing but all, almighty dollar and what's good for them and what's good for the, the minorities such as the homosexuals. I'm sorry. To me, if we don't make a stand, it is scary to think what will happen to this country, to the defense of this country, to the protection of this country, life in this country. If one of those other people get into office, I'm all for Huckabee. I'm all for Fred Thompson. 
I'm all for a candidate that's not afraid to stand and voice their their you know favoritism for life, favoritism for sanctity of marriage, hey, thank favoritism you. for protection. Thank you, Gayla, so much for that call. Folks, here are the headlines. Giuliani raises $11 million and leads the GOP, the Republican race for the presidential nomination. That from the Associated Press today. But wait a minute. Listen to these headlines from the New York Times. Giuliani tries to reassure religious conservatives. Another headline. Giuliani inspires threat of a third-party run. Another headline. Bishop would deny communion to Giuliani. A Catholic bishop says... I would deny communion because he is pro-choice or effectively uh, pro-abortion. What do you think? The number is 800-881-9270. we got Barbara on the line. Barbara, thank you for calling. What's your view? Well, I'm uh, very concerned about this 33% that Hillary supposedly jumped in the polls or the money she collected. And who are those polls and how can we believe it? I just think this is a a liberal media push to get her in the forefront. Democrats normally don't know who they're going to vote for anyway. And if they say Hillary is a frontrunner, everybody will vote for Hillary. Well, look, I think that's a good question. I remind you, these are polls of Democrats, Democrats that will be voting in the primary. So she has a 33% run uh, lead against Obama among the Democrats. But remember... In the general election right now, in all the polling, uh, Hillary is uh, right with Giuliani um, or uh, McCain um, or uh, Romney. When you look at the polling, it's much closer with uh, those three candidates or even Thompson. I mean, so these are polls among Democrats about the Democrat nominee. Now, there's other news, and that is Fred Thompson has raised over $9 million dollars. And his campaign has just gotten started. I've been hearing Mike Huckabee in the news. He's risen really from the lower tier to the bottom of the top tier. I've been hearing him in the top four again and again. So you've got Thompson and you've got Huckabee still with a shot at that nomination. Well, we'll keep following this story. But coming up, have you heard of the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, the Da Vinci Code? There seems to be uh, an effort to reduce Jesus, no longer God, no longer deity, but a man, a prophet, someone we're a lot more comfortable with. But could he save us? That's the question. We'll talk to an expert from Dallas Seminary. Dr. Daryl Bach will be on in just a moment. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. He's one of the most hated men in history. The apostle who betrayed Jesus Christ. For centuries, his name has meant treachery and deceit. Judas Iscariot. Now, hidden for nearly 2,000 years, an ancient gospel emerges from the sands of Egypt. It tells a different story, one that could challenge our deepest beliefs. We keep hearing of these kinds of discoveries. Did you listen? Challenging our deepest beliefs. The Gospel of Judas. That's a promo from National Geographic. They're special. The Gospel of Judas. The Gospel of Thomas. All other, there are the so-called lost Gospels. And it seems to me that the media today is um, obsessed with Jesus, but looking at him in a different way. With us to talk about this trend Dr. Daryl Bach, Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, a frequent guest to Jerry Johnson Live. Welcome back, Dr. Bach. Glad to be back. I can't believe it's 91 degrees in October. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Bach, um, you're hosting a conference coming up on October 29th. It's called Jesus in Primetime. We just heard this National Geographic piece. Uh, What is it? I know Jesus has been on Time Magazine more than anyone else, and it seems to me that the major networks and these specialty networks on cable keep covering Jesus. We've seen some movies about Jesus. What's going on? Well, there's terrific curiosity about Jesus in the public square. Some of it's healthy and some of it is not. Uh, And what we are doing is we're bringing in some media people, both Christian media and uh, secular media, to talk about how Jesus gets covered in the media and also to update people on what's going on with these most recent finds and these most recent claims. Uh, And we've called it Jesus uh, in prime time, and it's going to meet at Fellowship Church on Monday, October 29th, all day. It's a great uh, thing for pastors, for youth leaders, for college group leaders, parachurch ministers who uh, are on campuses and that kind of thing. We're going to talk about what's going on in religious studies classes with Jesus, what's going on the cable with Jesus, what's going on on the net with Jesus. We have the editor of the Christian Desk for BeliefNet.com coming. We have uh, the religious producer for Anderson Cooper 360 from CNN coming. Peggy Waymire. Pe- Peggy Waymire is going to be there. Uh, we've got uh, John Ankerberg, who does a lot of Good. apologetics television. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the medium, the, 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 the media at the various segments, radio, TV, film, Internet, and the different strengths and weaknesses that they have and how they go about making the choices of what they cover and why, as well as talk about what's going on with Jesus in biblical studies. All right, what we want to do in this segment of the next segment is talk about some of these claims that flow out of these programs, but also how we can take these claims, these media events, and actually turn them into a kind of evangelistic opportunity, a moment of dialogue. So let's go first, though, to to the heart of the issue, and I think that is um, Jesus, uh, Griffiths Thomas' old book, uh, Christianity is Christ. Uh-huh. And uh, let's talk about mere Christianity for a few minutes. And, you know, we heard this trailer about the Gospel of Judas. Uh, talk to us about uh, something like that program and that uh, discovery, and um, what do people try to make out of that? 
and um, that there, there were different kinds of Christianity? Well, what we're, what we're seeing is, and this is what the book Dethroning Jesus is about. The title is sound a little bit off-putting, but, uh, as the British like to say. But the subtitle is Exposing uh, Public Culture's Quest to Unseat the Biblical Christ. Mm. And what we have done is we've taken six ideas that have made the bestseller list or have had a cultural impact in the last five years or so and go, go through them one at a time, interacting with what the idea is, what has merit in the idea, what's problematic about the idea, and how to kind of process what's being said. And uh, and to help people kind of get oriented to what has become a, a new kind of discussion. I tell my students now that it's not just good enough to know about what's going on in the Bible. A person needs to know what's going on around the Bible because these discussions uh. are going on around the Bible. And, and some people won't even let you get to the Bible without having some of these discussions first. So uh, there are two kinds of Christianity out there in our public square, and I call one is Christianity. We all know Christ is at the center. He's the chosen one of God. He's in the center of God's program. And then the other one I'm labeling Jesus-anity. Jesus-anity is the idea that Jesus of Nazareth is a wonderful teacher. He's a great prophet. He's a wonderful religious example. But his person is not at the center of the faith. His teaching is at the center of the faith, minus his person. And that's Jesus-anity, and that was never good enough. It wasn't good enough in the first century, and it isn't good enough now. You know, when Peter was asked to confess uh, who Jesus was at Caesarea Philippi, he was initially asked, who do people say that I am? And, and they said, one of the prophets in one way or another. And that communicates terrific respect for Jesus. The prophet's pretty high up there sure. on the vocational sure. ladder. I mean, most people he, would feel he, good he, about that. He's outranking, you know, us. And so, but at the same time, it's something less than what Jesus portrayed himself to be and what he is in Christianity. And it's that difference that I want people to appreciate that respect for Jesus doesn't translate into a faithful communication of what Christianity is. So, as I look at the book Dethroning Jesus, there's some claims that you're going to debunk, and one is about the Gospel of Judas and uh, the claim that this would show a lot of different kinds of early Christianity. Talk about that for a moment. Yeah, this is my second uh, crack at this topic. Uh, I just did a book about a year and a half ago called The Missing Gospels that tries to inform people what the content of this material was, and the Gospel of Judas came out right as this book was released. And so... Um, so what the claim is, is that in the first century, there wasn't an Orthodox Christianity, but there were a variety of Christianities out there and that no one has an inherently better claim to represent Jesus among these options. And so you just kind of come walk into the cafeteria and take your mm -hmm. choice. And what we're trying to do in the book is to show the gospel of Judas is not a reflection or a proof of this alternative kind of Christianity as Elaine Pagels claimed in a New York Times article right after it came out entitled, interestingly enough, the gospel truth. And, uh, and, and we're trying to show the problem with the Gospel of Judas. It's actually less about Judas and more about cosmology and where the creation came from and how it was flawed from the beginning, which is something a Christianity coming out of Judaism would have never believed as the first step. So, and that's, that's one of the disconnects. Um, so we're, we're trying to help people at the bottom line understand what's basically wrong with some of these claims and why they're faulty on historical bases. In other words, you don't even have to have a, a, a worldview about how God operates in the world to refute some of this.
What do you think of Jesus, who is called the Christ? That's the basic question of the New Testament. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. My guest is New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Daryl Bach. He's written the book Breaking the Da Vinci Code and just being released very soon, Dethroning Jesus, Exposing Popular Culture's Quest to Unseat the Biblical Christ. And he's hosting a conference called Jesus in Prime Time on October 29th. Now, I notice a fellow that's getting a lot of traction right now is Dawkins from Oxford. And um, in his best-selling book, uh, for a moment, he addresses C.S. Lewis's argument that uh, Jesus claimed to be God, and therefore he either was God, as he said he was, or he was lying about it. He was a liar, or... He was crazy, and he was a lunatic. Mm-hmm. It's a well-known argument, mm-hmm. and a pretty solid argument, I think. But uh, Dawkins says, well, of course we know that the New Testament has been corrupted and been edited, and those deity claims were added later uh, by the early Christians. Those really weren't words that Jesus spoke. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I have power to forgive sins. What do you make of that claim? That's one of the claims I think you debunk in your new book. Well, actually, this is a topic, again, that has come up really since we wrote the book. So it's not directly addressed in the book, but I can address it. And again, this is an illustration of the point that you have to talk about what's going on around the Bible and not just what's going on in the Bible. This is a discussion about whether the tradition that feeds into the Gospels is trustworthy or not historically. And he's claiming that the, there is not trustworthy, that it, that it really is the theology of the later early church as opposed to going back to Jesus. And so part of the discussion needs to be on the line of tradition that goes back to Jesus. We do discuss that in the book. The last chapter of the book is a positive presentation of Orthodox Christianity, working through questions like, um, can we know that the gospel tradition goes back to those who walked with Jesus? And here's a question most people never think about. How was orthodoxy communicated before there was a functioning New Testament mm. to tell people what the theology of Christianity was? It's a good question, and it's a question that the other side is using to challenge the existence of orthodoxy. And so we're going to, we are going to discuss in the book how orthodoxy was being communicated while the New Testament was in the process of being put together. Well, I want to ask you how that was, and maybe we'll get some of that in just a minute when we come back. But I'm going to invite our callers now to begin to interact with us. The number is 800-881-9270. You may have a question about one of the lost Gospels. You may have one of the, a question about sort of alternative views of Jesus. You may have a question about the Da Vinci Code. We have here the author of the book, Breaking the Da Vinci Code. I noticed that Da Vinci Code is getting a second life now on pay-per-view, and it's, uh, it's something people are seeing again in their homes now. And uh, let's do a little follow-up on the Da Vinci Code when we come back. The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. Now, if you want to look at this conference, go to dts.edu, Dallas Theological Seminary, dts.edu, and look for this conference, Jesus in Prime Time. It's October 29. When we come back, Dr. Daryl Bach will be with us to talk about who Jesus is and uh, who Hollywood says he was. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. It is so powerful that men have died to protect it. And there are those who would kill to expose it. All right, that's enough of that. That's the Da Vinci Code. Uh, Back to the future here. You'll remember The Rage of the Da Vinci Code, the book by Dan Brown, the movie. And uh, but it had implications for who Jesus is and who Jesus was and the truth or the falsity of Christianity with us to talk about this and more. Dr. Daryl Bach, he teaches at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's hosting a conference on October 29th called Jesus in Prime Time. You can go to the DTS website, dts.edu, to find out more about this conference. But he's really going to be talking about portrayals of Christ, portrayals of Christianity in the media. It does seem like everyone is talking about Jesus. That's a good thing. But how are they talking about Jesus? Is he still God or is he a guru? Is he just a man? Welcome back, Dr. Bach. Pleasure. Hey, we've got a couple of callers. Let's go to them right okay. now. We've got Art on the line from San Angelo. Art, thank you for calling and holding. What's your question or comment? Well, my comment is, uh, Dr. Johnson, uh, to Dr. Bach, is um, even if we were to go ahead and uh, believe uh, even a, a small part of the rational argument, or what they believe is being rational, that Jesus is not a god, uh, or the, the two natures of Jesus Christ being God and fully God and being fully man, uh, and uh, if we were not to, to believe the writings of early church fathers like Clement uh, or Polycarp, what about the uh, non-Christian, early non-Christian writers, uh, Roman historians, and uh, such as Tacitus and Pliny the Younger? Uh, Pliny the Younger, in particular, had spoke uh, to the Emperor Trajan about Christians and how they adored their their God uh, in his own writing. What about that? Thank you so much, Art, for that question, Dr. Bach. Art, it's a great observation. This is a passage I like to use in having this discussion uh, because what uh, Pliny does is write Trajan and say, I've got a problem here. I've got these Christians, and they're worshiping Jesus and singing hymns to him as God. If I can get them to deny that Jesus is divine, can we give them clemency? And Trajan basically says, yeah, that's a pretty good policy if you can get them to confess that because <laughs> crew Christian's not supposed to, to do that. So it does give evidence that in Bithynia, which was a long way from Jerusalem, uh, within, uh, within about 70 years of the time of Christ, a little more than that, probably 85 um, people were worshiping Jesus as divine, and at least that group was was reflecting what became orthodoxy. You've mentioned the church fathers as well. Josephus talks about Jesus as well and talks about uh, the Jewish leadership having handed him over to Pilate, confirming some of the facts about Jesus as well as that he did, quote, unusual things. Uh, the Greek word here is where we get our word paradox from, uh, paradoxical things, if you want to think of it that way, and surprising things. And of course, the debate was, this goes back to something you mentioned earlier, Jerry, I like to say that liar, lunatic, and Lord is too 
too complicated. Uh, I like to say that if you look at the way the New Testament handles it, the choice is either that Jesus acts out of divine power or he acts out of power from below. Mm. He argued he acted from divine power. The Jewish authorities said he, he acted by the power of Beelzebul. He refutes the argument that he acts by the power of Beelzebul. And so the only category left is that he acted from God. And the one category that he doesn't have is the one that people want us to believe, and that is that nothing happened. Mm. Uh, no one has that category in the first century in terms of explaining what Jesus is doing. And they were sitting there walking with him, even his opponents. All right, we've got Jay on the line from Ellis County. Jay, thank you for calling and holding. What's your question or comment? Yes, sir. In a uh, recent promo ad for a new book, Dr. John Hagee, uh, his book is called In Defense of Israel. He says that the, Jesus didn't come as the Messiah the first time uh, to uh, Israel, and so those that rejected him, the Jewish religious leaders and others, uh, can't be held responsible for you know what they did to him, and I just like your comment on that. Thanks, Jay. Dr. Bach? Yeah, um, I'm not familiar with this book. I am familiar that Hagee has kind of what we call a two covenants view in relationship to Israel, which is uh, a very unfortunate view that is creeping in uh, to the church. And this is the idea that God has one way of saving Jewish people and another way of saving Gentiles. And I just don't think that works. I don't think you can explain the ministry of Paul, the person of Paul without it. Uh, And uh, I don't think you can explain how Paul seeks to, to preach to the Jew first and to the Greek, if this makes sense. And so I think there's a real problem here. Uh, if if it means uh, what, what you are suggesting, which given his view about Israel and the fact that uh, they can be saved possibly outside of Christ, um, it, it's possible that this is what he said. It also doesn't make sense out of the confession of Peter at Caesarea Philippi, which we've already mentioned, because although everybody thought that Jesus, the people said that Jesus was a prophet, what Peter said was, you are the Christ, or you are the Christ of God, or in Matthew, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the one thing that all three of those versions have in common is the confession that Jesus is the Christ, and that is the Messiah, and that's what's being affirmed by Jesus as a result of Peter's reply. Jim on the line from Arlington. Jim, thank you for calling. You're on the air with Dr. Bach. Hey, how are you all today? Doing Doing great. great. Hey, I was just wondering, I heard that clip you pay, played about the gospel of Judas. Yeah. Yep. Am I wrong in, in thinking that I thought all the gospels were written after Jesus' death? That's Why correct. This one's supposed to have been written. Well, actually, the people who talk about the Gospel of Judas don't think that Judas himself actually wrote it because he had a little short life, <laughs> a time after the death of Jesus, didn't have time to be doing any writing. But uh, they usually attribute it to the early part of the, uh, or the mid part of the second century. But as I said, this is a Gnostic text, and it believes that the creation was flawed at the beginning and that matter is inherently evil. And that runs against the idea, the biblical idea, which Christianity inherited that God created the creation to be good, and it was sin that was responsible for the chaos in the world. And so um, the earliest Christianity would not have held that creation was inherently evil from the beginning. And this is one of the clues that the Gospel of Judas couldn't go back to Jesus or to those who walked with him because they were very Jewish in their thinking about the creation. We know that from what the Gospels tell us. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. My guest is Dr. Daryl Bach, best-selling author particularly breaking the Da Vinci Code. Uh, Dr. Bach, um, what's your 
postmortem on the Da Vinci Code, the book, the movie? Uh, is it peaked? And uh, what about those claims? The Da Vinci Code is in serious rigor mortis. Uh, <laughs> but beyond that, uh, the, the issues that the Da Vinci Code raised and made popular are with us and are going to be with us. They are being taught on a regular basis. The idea that Christianity, as we know it, is a later product uh, appearing when Constantine and Christianity came together, when Rome gave its imprimatur to the Christian faith, uh, to Nicaea, etc., that that's really where Christianity comes from, really late in the game, and that in the meantime there were a variety of Christianities. That's with us, and that's going to be with us, and that's why it's important to know the early history of the faith. It's like knowing your genealogy. Uh, Dr. Bach, um, let me ask you this question. You've got this conference coming up, Jesus in Prime Time. By the way, folks, that's October 29. Go to the DTS website, dts.edu, because this conference is about media portrayals of Christianity and of Christ. And, uh, you know, we always like to look for the positive, the silver lining. The fact that people are talking about Jesus, whether it's Da Vinci Code or Gospel of Judas, I mean, this can be a good thing because Jesus is a point of conversation Talk to us about how Christians can take this information, or whether Jesus is on the cover of Time, or it's Christmas time. How can we take this kind of phenomenon and turn it into a, a positive evangelical or apologetic discussion and try to lead people to faith in Christ? Well, the media is always going to do kind of uh, the public square discussion and debate of what's going on. And as I've already suggested to you, there are two very clear stories about Jesus in the public square. One is this Jesus-anity, the other is this Christianity, and they're going to be in discussion and dialogue with one another. And I really like having the opportunity to represent and talk about what Christianity is in the face of the context of this kind of give and take. Because I do think that there is a lot of solid rationale for believing, you can't uh, you can't prove everything, but for believing that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be. And even on the basis of some of the claims that are coming from the other side, taking that material, that information, and properly sifting it through and talking about what it really says and what it doesn't say. And the more the church gets educated with regard to these kinds of things, which is why we're doing the kind of writing that we're doing, the more you can turn it into a conversation and discussion about who the real Jesus is. And that's not a bad conversation to have. I want to have that conversation whenever I can. Dr. Carol Bach is on the line, and we've got Lenore calling in from Joshua. Lenore, thank you for calling. What's your question or comment? Actually, it's a comment. My comment is, is uh, I think it's getting really close to the end of times because it reminds me of an old story we've probably all been told about the little boy who cried wolf, and he kept crying wolf to, to the point that nobody would believe, you know, when the wolf would actually come. So I think it kind of falls into that category. I mean, they're bringing up all these stories that, you know, that's trying to get people, Christians, to stray away. Hey, Lenore, we're almost out of time. I think we've got the gist of this. I want to ask you this question, Dr. Bach. Um, If the media, if the pop culture can um, reduce Jesus, does it prepare a way for an antichrist or claims of an antichrist today? Well, it might. I I don't turn this in this direction because I look at what's being claimed today and I say this is actually an old story being recycled. We've seen this in, for centuries, just in different forms. And when the church understands what it's looking at, it's in the position to be able to interact with it. Dr. Daryl Bach teaches at Dallas Theological Seminary. Go to this website, dts.edu. 
And look for this conference on October 29, Jesus in Prime Time. We just barely got started today. And be looking for this book that he's writing, which is called Dethroning Jesus, Exposing Popular Culture's Quest to Unseat the Biblical Christ. Dr. Bach, we appreciate you and your ministry. We'll have you back again. I'm always glad to be here. I have a great time whenever I come. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Do you remember that sound? 50 years ago today, that's Sputnik... October 4, 1957, everyone was afraid if the Russians could send that satellite around the world that they could drop some kind of a bomb or a missile on the United States. And we've got a strange relationship with Russia. I don't know if you heard this today, but uh, the president wanting to put up some anti-ballistic missiles in the Czech Republic, in Poland. Russia saying if we do that, they're going to re-up the arms race, but at the same time, we announced a partnership today that when we go back to the moon, we're planning that the Russians are going to do the technology drilling for the ice. So it's very interesting that we have this sort of a love-hate relationship with the Russians right now. But I'm reminded that President Kennedy made an announcement. Actually, Sputnik motivated us to to commit to space technology and to going to the moon. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. Well, that did happen. It was very interesting. Uh, Kennedy was not alive to see it. President Nixon was. And Nixon said something that was very interesting. He said... This is the most important day in the history of the human race. A man lands on the moon. And Billy Graham, who was a friend of many presidents, said, uh, pardon me, Mr. President, he made a public announcement. He said the most important day in the history of the earth was not when a man visited the moon, but the most important event was when God came to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about today, Jesus Christ. Who was he? Just a man, just a great prophet, a great moral teacher, a guru? Or was he indeed God incarnate, God in the flesh, fully God and fully man, the Messiah of Israel? 
Light Unto the Gentiles. With us to talk about it, Dr. Daryl Bach of Dallas Seminary. He's hosting a conference, Jesus in Prime Time. It's October 29, and he's really looking at the, the phenomenon that um, is here every week, it seems, some new magazine, some new DVD, some new book, some new movie about Jesus, some new discovery. And uh, there are some troubling claims that are being made out there. And, uh, Dr. Bach, we actually teased the listeners early on uh, with um, one of the challenges that we often hear, uh, that the New Testament wasn't really fully put together, Uh, for quite a while. So what do we say to that? And what do we say in that intervening time? You know, how did the church understand Jesus before these books came together, and how did they talk about it? I'd like for you to talk a little bit about both questions, if you could. Okay, let me work backwards. Um, The first person to list the 27 books of the New Testament, as most denominations around the world hold to it, was Athanasius, and he did so in uh, 367 A.D., so that's pretty far down the road. Um, uh, by the way, the Council of Nicaea never discussed the books of the New Testament. That's something a that claim the, in the Da Vinci Code, Code that's dead wrong. Um, and uh, but uh, and councils reaffirmed that list at the end of the fourth century, the beginning of the fifth century, several times. Um, but here's what people don't tell you when they say, "Well, you know, the canon really wasn't completed till the fourth century." If you come back to the to the latter part of the second century. Most of the canon was being recognized. You had the four Gospels, you had Acts, and you had the Pauline epistles that were basically in place. You had First Peter. What was being debated were uh, books like uh, James to some extent, Second Peter, Jude, Second uh, and Third John, the book of Revelation because it was so different than everything else, and then a few <laughs> books that ended up among the church fathers, Clement of Rome's book, First Clement, uh, Epistle, Epistle of Barnabas, and a book called the Didache, and the Shepherd of Hermas. Those were the books that were being discussed. So the core of the canon was actually in place at the end of the second century. We know that Tatian tried to put all the four Gospels together, and that didn't work. It didn't replace the four Gospels, and he did that in A.D. 170. So let's so that still is another 130 years from the end of the time so of Christ. So what did the church the do up to that point? Well, what they did is that, and you can see this in what we have in the New Testament. They had doctrinal summaries that they circulated in short, memorable bits, pieces of material like Romans 1, 2 to 4, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 3, um, uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Some of these summaries were hymns, like Colossians 1, 15 to 20, that they sung in church to remember the theology. So you had doctrinal summaries, you had hymns, and then you had the rites in the church, baptism and the Lord's table that had a theology wrapped up in it that was the story was being told as you went through those rites. Those are three things that were happening in the churches. Those texts were being read in the churches, the hymns were being sung in the churches, and baptism in the Lord's table was being observed in the churches. So part of the worship reinforced the theology of the early church in that period while the New Testament was in the process of being brought, uh, pulled together. Very helpful. Dr. Daryl Bach, best-selling author from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's writing a book called Dethroning Jesus, Exposing Popular Culture's Quest to Unseat the Biblical Christ. But you can get a preview of that if you go to this conference on October 29 called Jesus in Prime Time: How the Media Portrays Christianity. You know, he mentioned 1 Corinthians 15, and here it is. The gospel. What is the gospel? What is the good news? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
according to the Scriptures, the Old Testament, there was a system of sacrifices, sacrifices for sin, the notion of atonement, the notion that God must be propitiated in His holiness, in His righteousness, in His justice. He must be propitiated. The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ was an actual atonement. He was a substitution for my sin, for your sin. You may be at home or driving in your car and you think about the worst thing you ever did. And you need to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood as an atonement for your sin so that you could be forgiven, so that you could know God's presence in your life, so that you could go to heaven when you die, so that you could have purpose and meaning in your life. Know that your prayers are heard when you pray. But he doesn't stop there. How did he die for our sins? And he was buried. Jesus died and was buried. And three days later, he rose again. And Paul goes on to say he was seen by hundreds And let's not forget this, talking about what the early church did, there actually were people for 50, 70 years maybe around who said, hey, I was there for the feeding of the 5,000. I saw that healing. I saw that um, dead person raised. And so there were many people around who could say, I know Jesus is God. I know he's divine because I saw him. I heard him. He healed me. He saved me. Well, that's the gospel. And you need to believe. You need to look to Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to receive Christ. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to walk down the aisle to do that. You can do that in your car right now. You can do that at your house. Just look to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Receive Christ. Tomorrow, tomorrow, we'll be talking about the possible third-party candidate for President of the United States, Tom DeLay, former Republican leader in the House, and also we'll be talking to someone about the nanny state. Government going to take care of you in every way. We'll talk. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. For an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.